1: Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeBreeze, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPL Roundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm
2: Jamie Smith. I'm here to talk about Burnley.
3: Hi, I'm Gita Thurillen, Swansea City fan.
4: Hi, I'm Dan um, from the website 1878.net, and I'm here to talk about West Bromwich Albion.
5: Hi, I'm also Dan, and I'm here to talk about Arsenal.
1: Awesome, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, up front, I want to talk about something that I kept hearing during the broadcast of the Burnley-Everton match today, where they kept referring to Burnley uh, as spoilers, which, considering they've already gotten results against Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, and Everton, I mean, it's I suppose it's technically true, but I'm curious as to at what point, like how many more teams do they have to beat before we just start considering them to be good in their own right, and not good by comparison to the teams they're facing. Jamie, seems appropriate to start with you as the resident Burnley fan. What do you think about that narrative?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm completely objective about this. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it can be frustrating. I think the thing for me as a a supporter of a smaller club is that whenever you achieve something against one of the bigger boys, it always has to be seen through this sort of prism of, They either did something wrong or you only did it by playing in a sort of reductive style. You're not allowed to beat one of the big teams by just playing better football than them. That's not something that the media seems to be able to accept. Other football fans don't seem to get it. It's always Burnley have kicked people off the park and they just do it by kicking long balls all game. And it's just not the case. I mean anyone who watched our game today it was pretty obvious that the game plan was to sit back soak up the everton pressure let them shoot from distance it's a game plan that's worked time and time again just let them play in front of us and then pick them off on the break and that's exactly what we did we scored an absolutely fantastic goal and anyone who's watched us this season knows that that's how we play it's not spoiling it's our own style and wouldn't it be boring if everyone played in the same way anyway? There has to be some variation. That's part of what makes the Premier League such an exciting division to watch. I mean, if everyone just wants to do pretty little passing all the time, it would get very boring very quickly, I think.
4: Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that, to be honest with you. I think if if you look at it, you, you'll watch, I don't know, I, I use Match of a Day as an example quite a lot, but but I think you have to because it is the main football show for us here in Britain um in regards to the Premier League and they will constantly hammer the the opposition. I mean I've had it as a Baggies fan you'll have had it as, as a Burnley fan. Well, if if you get to Man United and get a result and you've and you've actually played well and you've and you've done the right things, you will never be it's basically you'll get a comment at the end of after they've hammered Man United and gone on about how they've played so badly, say, oh and West Brom did well, didn't they? And and it's just so frustrating, and I think a lot of it just comes down to just a lack of motivation to to research into too much detail about the teams that don't really matter to to Sky or to BT Sport. Because I mean, you you look at the running order for match of the day last night, and it, and it was it was a one nil Man City win on first, and it, and it was a bit of a dull game to be honest. Man City played well; they did all right, but it wasn't exactly full of talking points or full of any exciting challenges or full of it just wasn't that much of, of a great game to be watching but it just seems that the people at the top trying to sell this premier League product have got to label certain teams as just those kinds of yeah like spoilers but but that there is a lot a lot more to it than that and i just think it's just the era of the era that we live in that the, the constantly media driven and the, and the the big boys mentality that only the top clubs mean anything to anyone and and it's just it's just unfortunate that's how it is and it it is refreshing when someone can come up with a, an alternative opinion to that but it's it's it rarely it rarely happens you do, you do just get sick of it and almost just prone just immune to to how, how it is you know being a supporter of one of the lower clubs in in the Premier League. I wonder what Dan's take on is. It being an Arsenal fan. Um.
5: Well, back to the original question of whether they're good. I think that's a lot of the definition of the word good. But um, I mean, if it's in their own right, yeah. Like Burnley have always been good at what they do. That's Sean Dyche is very good at, t- at um making sure lots of team or the opposing team take a lot of shots, but make sure none of them are good shots, and then hope to be able to. Nick come on the counter. That's always been what Burnley do, and it's worked, what is it, two out of, no, one out of two campaigns in the Premier League under Dyche? Yeah, one out of two. Um, if they stay up this year, it'll be two out of three. Um, it's what they do. Um, as far as showing Chelsea City first on match for day, I mean, that makes sense to me. That's what more people want to,
4: like, if... It can't, does, if... I can't be having that, mate. I really can't. If if it was a free free thriller between West Brom and Watford, I mean it was two two anyway, yeah, it was you two. know, and we, and we was almost on second second to last. Not very really, not am really bothered anyway because I can still. Okay, second to last myself. is wrong. You being second to last but, is wrong. No, but, but then being no, first,
5: but, I don't have a problem with.
4: No, but but I, I think the point is that it should be focusing on the game that's been the most exciting for that day, not just let's put the top clubs on first because the top clubs have got the, the basically the top clubs are more important course of of course they are to quite a lot of people that you got more supporters of the top clubs there's a, there's a bigger audience for the, the top clubs in the Premier League but there has to be some sort of of level playing field and and some sort of realization that the premier League has got 20 teams in it and and not six um and i suppose being a fan of the bigger clubs i suppose you dan are quite you don't really well, I'm, see I'm, the, the I'm famous, not seeing it more
5: club perspective more just from a tv perspective like we want to get we need to get the views that's the point of our show this is what's going to get them that's more what i'm just looking at it from not from a club perspective
4: yeah well it's just unfortunate that's,
5: that's, that's how i'm thinking of it that's why i think that makes sense like again you being second to last is stupid but them being first i don't really have a problem with yeah
2: it. i mean i i think um what a uh, Baggy stand <laughs> I differentiate between the dance
5: yeah just getting there.
2: Oh, well. (laughs) The the separate point about uh, Match of the Day, that program doesn't have to chase viewers. People are going to watch that anyway. They don't rely on adverts. So there's no, we need a lot of viewers to get the advertisers interested because it's on a channel that doesn't have adverts. So that sort of doesn't come into it for me. I understand that City were top of the league and they always seem to start with the team that's top of the league no matter what game it does. But I think more generally, the media has to pay more attention to stories down the down the Absolutely. league. Watford have had a fantastic start to the season. Burnley now have had a fantastic start to the season. You won't see the media talk about these teams because they're small and they're unfashionable. And a lot of people just can't be bothered, like Dan said, to spend time researching what it is that he's making these teams successful against the odds people were talking about Watford as relegation favorites mm. and they're flying they're absolutely flying the same about Burnley people saying it would be second season syndrome
4: it's not but, it's not the case but if you, yeah but yeah but if you know your football you know you know that Defoe is a very good player you know that, yeah, Chris, sure. Wood's gonna score, you know that Chris Wood's going to score goals Matty Lowton's having a great season you've got a, a young lad in goal who's just come in that's never played in the Premier League before and he's keeping clean sheets after clean sheets. Yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of elements as to why Burnley are doing well as opposed to just saying that they're spoiling other, yeah, other top absolutely. Sport. And people because,
2: people don't go below the surface, do they?
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: At
1: Yeah, sorry, I think get to it's, not to cut you off, but uh, you had uh, experience with this uh, in the 0-0 draw against Tottenham where everybody was talking about what Tottenham did wrong, and they were complaining that Swansea didn't come out to play football. But if you had come out to play football, we probably would have seen a match like what we just did against Huddersfield. So were you equally frustrated that that was the narrative surrounding that match?
3: No, I actually, actually, the, the less people talk about Swansea this season, the happier I am. <laughs> you know <what> <laughs> um, but, I, I mean, I, I, it's definitely true. I mean, we've had in the past when we have... Had surprise results against against the top teams. You know, often, when we have beaten the top teams, it has been because we've we've got our game plan spot on, and often because we play better football than them. But it's always it's always more focused on the other team. One of the one of the reasons is that it's uh, you know they're they're a big club and people know more about them because they pay more attention to them too. I think there's a general thing about football supporting these days. It's it's quite fun to. Analyze why big teams are rubbish. It's quite fun, I think, for people to look at Everton at the moment and say <laughs> they spent so much money and they lost to Burnley. Can you believe it? They lost to Burnley. I mean, it's, like, people just people just enjoy. Burnley. It, you know.
2: It's also it's easier to to point out what a team has done badly yeah. than it is to point out what they've done well. It's not just easier to do that; it's probably more more interesting to watch. I mean. Who's going to be asked about a five minute package of Burnley's defensive line being really solid, (laughs) closing down throw-ins really well? Look, he didn't let him do anything. I'd like to watch that, but nobody else would want to watch that.
1: (laughs) I think that's an excellent point. Um, On the flip side, not to fulfill a stereotype that we just bashed for a while, um, Everton obviously have struggled from the start of the season. Not saying they failed, which is why Burnley won, just to clarify. But um, things clearly not going well at that club either. Um, Can we just chalk this up to Lukaku? Or is this Coleman's fault? What do you think has gone wrong at Everton this year?
2: I think uh, Lukaku has to be the starting point, doesn't he? I mean... A lot of people said that he was a bit of a flat track bully. Last season, he scored a lot of goals at the end of games that Everton had already won. scored a lot of goals in games against teams that you'd expect Everton to beat anyway. Um, But the reality is he was still scoring those goals and the goals still count, no matter the situation, no matter the opposition. Um, And I think if you take a powerful player like Lukaku out of the team, it does have a big impact. Um, One of the problems for me was the recruitment was all wrong signed a load of number 10s. Rooney's passed it. He should have gone there last summer or not at all. He's only fit now for MLS, no offence, or China or the Middle East or somewhere. He can't play at this level anymore. He just can't do it. Klassen, I'm unconvinced by he's going to need time to adapt. And Sigurdsson, similar players, really. Sigurdsson, fantastic It's onesie. I just wonder if he's a player that thrives, where he's the centre of attention. It's all about him the pressure is on him to make things happen. Whereas Everton is more of a, just a piece in the puzzle. Um And Koeman, it's, it's just not happening for Cooman. The Everton fans I've spoken to, they're very frustrated with these tactics. His team selection seem very random. Cuco Martino playing at right back in the Premier League just seems very, very odd to me. But <laughs> defensively, they just seem an absolute shambles. I mean, Michael Keane is having a horrible start to the season. Obviously, I've watched Keane a lot in the last couple of seasons and he seems to have gone backwards very, very quickly. And Ashley Williams as well. I'm sure Gusto will say he's a good defender. But under Kuman he's been absolutely terrible. And so something is badly wrong at the top of that club. And I think, OK, Lukaku's gone and you talk about net spend and all these stuff, but Kuman has spent a lot of money this summer and Everson have got a lot worse. So... I think they're probably going to think about getting rid of him at this point. It's a case of who's out there and who could they get and stuff like that. But you would have expected a lot more from Everton this season. People were talking about them challenging for the top four, for them to be only just above the relegation zone and losing to the likes of Burnley at home. It's got to (laughs) be alarm bells.
4: (laughs) I I, I think you've got to look at Pickford as well. I think he's cost an awful awful lot of money for a goalkeeper of his age. And he's had he's had one full season as a first choice goalkeeper at Sunderland. Now, I'm not at all saying that he's a bad goalkeeper because I think he's he's definitely got a bright future future ahead of him. But as a goalkeeper, that there's automatically a lot more pressure on you, especially when you're joining a big club, you you've got a massive fee behind you. You've been installed as a number one without doubt straight away. He's definitely gonna have been been feeling the pressure. Whereas at Sunderland last season, he was the number one. But he was the number one at at a team that was almost expected to get relegated anyway. So you would see him pulling off fine saves every single match because they were getting battered week in, week out. Um, And so I think the step up for Pickford, he's going to be a big one. And and Everton fans are going to expect a lot from him simply because of the price tag. Whereas I don't think that's fair. Um, And so maybe a a more solid backup or a number one for him to, to... to be the understudy too for a couple of years would have been the safer bet for them because imagine being a defence in front of a shaker keeper and it, it it's it's the start of a whole new chapter for him and he he's got to get it right you know you you constantly be doubting yourself um, and so I'm I'm not at all saying Pickford's at fault entirely but he's he's definitely going to share some of the blame and coming back to Lukaku I mean we had him for a, a season at the Albion. Um, and I think at the time people were drawing a lot of comparisons. Comparisons with him and Bentekid, being as, as they were both Belgian, and we you know he, he was at the Villa and Lukaku was at um, at the Baggy, so both at West Midlands base clubs. And um, and I knew for a fact that the, the careers of both of them would be massively different. Lukaku is a class above. He has got so much more to his game than people realise. Um, and he 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 will bag thirty goals in all competitions for Man United this season, um, and I've I've got no absolutely no doubts that um, Everton's fall off is a, you know a, not entirely but a, a massive proportion due to the fact that they've replaced him with Wayne Rooney, who probably hasn't got the eye for goal that he used to have. He has to come deeper to get the ball to 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 create things because he feels the need that. I just I just feel that as a footballer, Rooney, still he's still got talent, but in a smaller side, more expectation of him, I'm I'm not sure it's gonna be a move that, that really works out for him. Um and I think it's he, probably gonna be one season at Everton and and then he'll he might well be on his way to um yeah, to, to one of the uh, countries that Jamie mentioned, China, America, maybe Australia, one of the countries where Football isn't played to quite as high a standard.
3: Lukaku compensated for a lot of Everton's faults last season. Um, they were they were pretty mediocre without him, and he scored a lot of goals just to keep them in a respectable position. And even though they finished seventh, they were a long way behind the top six. I mean, they, they, they were not in the same league as them, really. Um, so when people were talking about you know, them getting into the top four and spending all this money, they were setting Everton up for a fall. Um, and the truth is they lost, they lost Lukaku and, and they were always going to struggle to replace him. And And they haven't actually tried to replace him, which I guess is the main problem. Um, they brought in Rooney, which like we all agree is it, it was a daft move. Um, they bought a the name, not a, not a footballer. And, um, uh, they Sandra Ramirez isn't clicking there and, and doesn't really have the the ability that the had obviously and on top of that then you've got they have spent a lot of money on on very similar players and they're trying to get them all into the, uh, into the same team um despite them all playing similar positions that's making everything clogged up in midfield and like Jamie said at the back they're looking rubbish. Absolutely terrible. I mean, Michael Keane still hasn't settled there. Uh, Ashley Williams' his age is really showing. Every time I see Ashley Williams now, he is making a mistake, which obviously is worrying from a, a Welsh point of view. But he he really is showing his age now, um and he probably should not be starting for Everton. I I probably play Jagielka ahead of him, which which says a heck of a lot because he, he started showing his age last season. Um, so, yeah, they, they've just not quite got that complete team. And I don't think Kuman's the best person to have there uh, managing them because, like we said, he, he didn't really do an amazing job last season um, and he doesn't seem to be getting them gelling this time round. So um, if I was an Everton fan, I'd be pretty annoyed at the moment. And um, I, 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 I think maybe kuman in a while may feel genuine pressure on him um, because no way are Everton going to spend all this money without... Um, having some expectation of at least improvement on last season, and at the moment they they're, they're so far behind where they where they expect to be that you'd have to worry for Kuhlman's job.
5: Yeah, I'm not sure Everton did anything like actively right the entire summer. Like Keane and Pickford were fine; they were overpaid, but they were fine. They were addressing like very big needs because you know Joel Robles is terrible and. Jack Yelka is a statue at this point. Not a statue, a mummy, whatever. Um, He's not alive. (laughs) Um, Rooney was always more likely to fail than succeed. Like, come on, he's been done for years. Um, That was a move made purely on nostalgia and not on actual footballing thought. Um, Like, the summer was not good, but fine. Like, it was fine. And then they went and spent $40 million on Sigurdsson, which was... just idiotic he's 28 i think he's late 20s and a ridiculously high proportion of his um chances created last season came from set pieces which is fine and all having good set piece taker is important but if you're spending 40 million on a number 10 you really don't want like i think it was it was something like 40 percent of his chances for game from set pieces i do not quote me on that exact number i don't remember what it was exactly but it was a very Abnormally high proportion, and just he's good. I like him. He's not worth 40 million, and he's not a t- player you want to build a team around. And then, from a tactical point of view, a, a lot of I will say the one saving grace for Everton is they've had a very, very, very difficult schedule to start the season. I think they well, so played Spurs, yes, um, I'm, <laughs> I, silver linings, man, silver linings. <laughs> I am. It's scraping here, yeah. but they have had a very difficult start to the season. And Coman's plan against big teams has always been sit back, counter of pace. But then he went and bought no players with pace, and they are extremely slow. Um, so those games were never going to work. Um, they're they're not great. Um, I I still want to see him against a few more quote unquote lesser teams until I totally freak out. But yeah, no, they're not good. If the idea that they were. Going to challenge for top six was extremely funny. Um, the fact, the idea that they had a good summer what may have been funnier. Um, it, and they're both widely held beliefs, which is hilarious. Um, it's if you were picking like a most uh, most banterful team preseason, Everton would be obvious choice because they were set up to fail
1: by everyone. I agree. I do agree with your assessment that their summer was strange because bringing in Rooney felt like, uh, a move counter to the rest of the moves they were making, as as did the Sigurdsson move, to be fair. Um, Where it didn't... It wasn't clear if they were trying to buy young players to develop or if they were trying to buy older players to be good now. And I think we're seeing then, that on the... And even the, like,
5: young, quote-unquote, players they bought were not old, but they weren't, like, 20. No, they were, but they like, did 20, buy some 30. young ones,
1: like, Vlasic. I but think yeah, they were younger, so like, then... Yeah. Pretty interesting, but I don't think he was supposed to matter yet. Um... Omar Niassev randomly being relied yeah, upon is... Blasic is the that, only... that
5: might actually be the best icing on the cake ever. The guy they bought like two years ago mm-hmm. and didn't even give a suit is now their starting striker.
2: Blasic <laughs> yeah. is the only wide player that they're signed, though. Mm-hmm. You, you, to come back to the tactics, if if you're going to play with a player like Rooney, whose pace has gone, he's not mobile anymore, mm-hmm. you need pace in wide areas... And they've been playing games where they've had Classen, Sigurdsson, Rooney, all wanting to play really as number 10s. Yeah. And none of them have got any pace. So Everton become really easy to play against. You just sit deep. Everything's in front of you. No one's going in behind. There's no movement. There's no incision.
1: Yeah.
2: And with the result, they just don't create clear chances. They had 23 yeah, shots against us today. We had five we created by far the better chances because we moved the ball at pace, we get in behind teams, we cause them problems, mm-hmm. and all of Everton's opportunities pretty much were from 30 yards just because they'd run out of ideas.
1: Yeah, and actually, Gito, I'd like to come back to you on this because we've been talking about Sigurdsson a fair bit, and you played him on the left at times. It's Swansea, Everton now doing that because they don't have anybody to play over there except Kevin Morales, who randomly is in and out of that side constantly. Um is there a way to get around this issue, or do you think Sigurdsson being played on the wing can be a detriment when it comes to the pace?
3: You, you've got to pay, play him through the middle. If you're going to get anything near £40 million pounds worth, you've got to play him through the middle. That is his position. That's where you can control play, and that that's where you're going to get the best out of him. Um, playing him out the wing, yeah, he can do a job there, but you, you're really wasting a lot of talent there. Um, and the fact that he's been played out wide most of the season just to accommodate Wayne Rooney is just ridiculous. It's it it shows a real weakness um, on on Koeman's part. Um, it's it's just stupidity. Um, and you can see that so as a result, Sigurdsson just hasn't settled there at all. I mean, he's he's not looking comfortable. His set piece delivery is not what you'd expect from him. Um, which you know is is the very least that you would expect from for considering you're buying Gilfie Sigurdsson, um, so you know he's he's a fantastic player and it's it's certainly not too late for them to get the best out of him. But if they are going to get the best out of him, they have to stick him in the middle and and keep him in the middle. Um, but again, like we said, it's part of this random policy there in the summer where they bought a lot of. Players to play in the middle of the park, uh, no real wingers. Somebody has to play in those positions. Who's who's n- not really suited to playing there, and, and it ends up being guilty because he's the kind of player who doesn't won't put up too much of a fight if you tell him to play wherever. You know, even if it doesn't make sense, he'll he'll just do it.
1: Yeah, uh, there were some shouts there for uh, Komen being on a hot seat potentially. To leave soon is, is that a direction that we think we could go? I mean, this is a manager that if we're saying a lot of this is down to Lukaku's departure, there were still shouts this summer for Komen to take over at Barcelona. Now he's mainly struggling. from
2: mainly from Komen to be fair. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> That's true. And the he Dutch pitched. Dutch yeah, so kind of he him pitched up a little bit. so brazenly for that job.
1: Yeah,
2: like I think if you did that in a normal job, your current employers would just get rid of you mm. because he was so. It's so naked the way he went about it, talking about the Barcelona job. Well, it happened it's to have like,
1: Redna- had... at Tottenham, where he yeah, was it's... so publicly flirting for the England job that we ended up having to get rid of him.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, Cooman's uh, he'd had one good state, one okay season at Everton and a good season at Southampton, and the guy thinks he can be managing Barcelona. It's an absolute joke. It's
5: so ridiculous. I'm pretty sure I've been on the Koeman isn't that good train for a while, so mm-hmm. just going to say that. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. But h- how long do we think he's in his job? By Christmas? By end of season? I think lose the next f- game.
4: I think lose the next game. I think, I think they'll, it's over Brighton, Brighton, if memory
2: They're at okay. Brighton in the next game. And then I think they've got Arsenal and Chelsea, mm. or Arsenal and cool. City. They've got Brighton away. They, <laughs> should,
4: they
1: should keep him for Arsenal. He always does well against us. <laughs>
5: <laughs> but if they lose at Brighton, I think Dan's
2: right. I think he's in real trouble if they lose that game.
1: Yeah, well here's here's a question. If if you're thinking about sacking him if he doesn't win against Brighton, wouldn't now actually be the best time to do it from a yes. calendar perspective, because you have the two weeks to get ready for the next match against Brighton, which again, quote unquote, should be winnable.
2: Sort of. I mean, I think um going back to Palace and De Boer, I think the timing of that was strange in a way, because Hodgson then came in and he's got that horrible run of games to start with. And you just thought, well, it's not gonna get better now it's probably going to get worse before it gets better so why hand somebody that it's going to be too heavy defeats probably straight up um so i don't know i think it's going to be a very uncomfortable international break for kuman i think there will be discussions um everton aren't known for getting rid of managers harshly or early they tend to give people too long rather than not long enough um but I think it depends on the, the new guy. Is it Mashiri who spent all the money? Mm. He's going to want to see a return on that investment. And the team is horrible to watch. There's not any sort of discernible signs of progress in the opening weeks of the season. And Cole Manchester got the sack this week. He's managed in the Premier League before. I think he likes managing in the Premier League. They should put that call in, at the very least. It would be ambitious, but...
5: If if can get Ancelotti, Coleman should be flung out of Everton through with a catapult.
1: And he's going to land softly in the resting arms of the Dutch national team. Yes, yes, he will. Um, Unfortunately for you, Kev. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a good time. Uh, we'll see where that stands two weeks from yeah, now. Yeah, you but may am... want to like, just get rid of your eyes now. Yeah, not not <laughs> optimistic, but, you know, it's probably better than what we got. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then come back with topics for each of our guests.
6: change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.
1: All right, and we are back. Uh, We're going to lead in with Jamie just like we did at the top of the show. Uh, You know, we've talked a lot about the departure of Michael Keane and whether or not it was a failure not replacing him. But you had mentioned maybe 18 months ago and ever since that the idea of bringing in, I think it was Tarkovsky, was to be the yeah. long-term replacement for Michael Keane. Still surprising you didn't add any center back for depth. But in all those conversations we never stopped and talked about how good he was or the partnership with me and the kind of the defensive setup that allows for success and kind of a reduced amount of pressure on them. How good are they? They're very good.
2: <laughs> I think there's a start doing the rounds after the game today. They've made 30 blocks between them, I think it is. She's more than 16 out of the 19 teams combined in the Premier League, and that's just two players, which sort of, it's an indication of the way that we play and the way that the defenders go about their business. But I think you're right in that it's the setup as well. It's sort of made it easier for Tarkovsky to come in, I think, because he's seen the way we play. It's very much defend... Almost in an old-fashioned way. You don't see a lot of teams defending the way that Burnley do these days. I think teaching defending has almost gone out of fashion now. You see Liverpool, the way they defend, and it doesn't look like they work on it at all. I
1: assume you put air quotes around that as you said it.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And It it just seems to me that defending, it's it's out of fashion, and, and managers seem to have forgotten that you need to drill these things. I think... Managers like Daish and Tony Pulis and people like that who spend hours every week on the training ground making sure that it's drilled firmly into the players that you need to be in this position when this is happening so that it's all automatic. They don't have to think about it during the game. I just don't think teams really do that anymore. As for Tarkovsky himself, it's it's been difficult to say how good he was because he's only really played in cup games. and. Then in massively changed lineups where sometimes he's been the, the most senior player um, and he's, he's barely played for us. So there was a lot of hope that he was going to be good, but he's been so much better than anyone could have expected. Or even like if you were dreaming in the summer, thinking Keane's going to go, Tarkovsky's going to come in, it's going to be like this. You couldn't have dreamt that he would be as good as he's been. I think he's been man of the match two out like, of the last three games or something. And the, in terms of pure defending, he's maybe better than Keane. Keane's distribution and his skill on the ball and his goal scoring as well, better than Tarkovsky in a few different areas. But in terms of the, the basics and blocks and clearances and being in the right place, he just seems to be spot on for, for what we demand of our defenders. And he, he's fitting absolutely brilliantly. There's a few question marks over... <laughs> Over his ability with his feet earlier on, he seemed a bit overconfident trying to play passes that he's not really capable of and um, asking too much of his teammates at times as well. But that seems to be being knocked out of him by Dash. So the, the partnership between Tarkovsky and me has been very solid. We've kept a couple of clean sheets in the last two games. Nick Pope in goal has been really good considering he's a young goalkeeper playing in the Premier League for the first time. So I think the the system being so set in stone from from Daesh is a big part of it. But also all credit to James Darkovsky because he's been fantastic the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, coming to you now, Gitto, um, last season – well, earlier in the show we talked about how a lot of uh, Sigurdsson's uh, chances created came from crosses, came from set pieces – Um, which is not inaccurate, Uh, helped Swansea finish somewhat respectably in chances created last season. Right now, Swansea dead last in chances created, eight worse than the next closest team. I don't really see a way for that to improve with the players you have at the club. Do you think there's somebody that we're not thinking of that can provide that? Or do we have to just to wait till January and hope you can have another great turnaround like you did last season?
3: Uh, I'm scared that it could be. That we're reliant on the January transfer window because, like you said, the first seven games of the season, uh, we, we've we've really struggled to create anything at all. Um, I've got the here: we've we've had 11 shots on target in seven games, and I'll be honest, I I I'm questioning that figure because I can't remember 11 shots on target. Um, it's been so difficult to watch because you've got. A defence, which generally is, is looking quite, quite capable and quite, and quite solid. But then you've got a midfield, which is full of really the same kind of players. And they're, they're all getting each other's way. Nobody seems to know what they're doing. Everybody's very low on confidence. And then you've got the strikers up front who are not getting any kind of supply. It's not even poor supply. If you watch the West Ham game uh, yesterday, the amount of times... Because Swansea were actually better than West Ham. Um, that doesn't say anything because West Ham were appallingly bad, absolutely awful. Um, and they gave us a lot of space in midfield and, um, Tom Carroll and Renato Sanchez, they were running forward. But then when they got into that final third, something just happened and they would just play these crazy balls. I mean, crosses, they were, they were overhitting these crosses. I can't kick a ball as far as they overhit these crosses. Um, and Wilfred Borney and, and Tammy Abraham were just stood in the middle wondering, well, how am I meant to get a ball that's 30 yards over my head? It, I, they they just had no hope whatsoever of scoring with with the kind of supply that they were getting. And this is the problem, really. I mean, Tammy Abraham scored two goals this season. I I, I think that is a huge credit to him because he's had no help from the rest of the team. Uh, the fact that he has scored two goals, it, it says a lot about his talent. Um... And and we don't really have that those players to, to do it. We've we've sold Guilfi and not brought in a number another number ten. We don't have another playmaker in the entire squad. Um, so we're basically asking players who aren't suited to playing that role to 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 well take on that responsibility. The likes of Leroy Fair, who's just not good enough, uh, Renato Sanchez who's more suited to playing a little bit deeper and is still regaining his confidence anyway. Um, Whoever does play in that role is not helped by the fact that we don't have a single Premier League winger and um quality winger in the tide. We're amazingly narrow. That's a, a problem that we share with with Everton really. There's no pace and there's no width in the team to stretch the opposition. Um and these are problems that, that can't be addressed with with the squad that we've got, unfortunately. And um one of the things that dawned on me yesterday is just uh, the the fact that we have loaded our squad with so-called versatile players um, who were clearly brought in with the mindset, OK, they're not the best, but they can cover several positions, so it's OK. Um, we, we we expect Kyle Norton, who is not really good enough to play in his main position of right-back, to cover at left-back from time to time, uh, which he can't do. We've brought in Sam Klukas, our record signing, which I still find insane, um we expect him um to cover um holding midfield um left back possibly even as a more attacking player um again he's struggling enough as a, as a as a defensive midfielder he came on yesterday for around 5 minutes at left back and he was at fault for the goal because he's not a left back um, uh, we we expect jordan ayu to provide options on the wing and up front he can play neither so he's kind of just in this middle ground where he doesn't really do much at all apart from run, which he does very well. Um, uh, Leroy Fair, too, is expected to cover positions which he's not capable of playing. Renato Sanchez now might be asked to, to cover positions which he's not capable of playing. I hate the term versatile player anyway, because it, it basically means players who are not good enough to nail down a single position. Like a jack of all trades. Jack of all trades, master of none. You know, there's a reason why Phil Jones has been playing right back, central midfield, and centre back throughout his Man United career. It's because he was never good enough to actually nail down one of those positions. And he's actually not been good enough to play any of the other positions. Um, and that's what we've got at the moment. We've got a team full of jack of all trades, master of none, no specialists in the team who actually know how to play their roles. Um, and it leaves you directionless. Um, it, it leaves you in a situation where nobody's able to take responsibility um and when you're trying to attack if you don't have a playmaker if you don't have wingers bottom line is you're not going to create chances you you just simply aren't um and i don't think there's another team in the premier league which is in our situation even crystal palace who have not scored a goal after seven games have better attacking options than we do um which is which is terrifying and i probably suggest that before long um we're going to be round about the same points as as Crystal Palace um, because I can't see really how we're going to turn around our attacking fortunes.
1: Yeah, Crystal Palace have 30 more chances created than Swansea right now. And you mentioned that you have 11 shots on target, four players with with the same or more shots on target on their own. So not very uplifting statistics behind what has been a troubling start for Swansea. Um, Dan, of the Arsenal variety, uh, there's always a lot of noise surrounding Arsenal transfers when they come in. Of course, we had the Utzel and Alexis ones that obviously blew everything up. Even Xhaka last season caught a lot of interest. For some reason, the Kolasinac signing this season on a free flew very far under the radar. Maybe because it didn't come with a big fee attached. But he's looked very good to my eye thus far. What does he bring to Arsenal that even though he scored uh, today maybe you weren't seeing from Nacho Monreal? Uh, a wing back with legs. That is the biggest thing. Um, no, he's a very
5: good... He's actually in the Monreal um, mold, where he's a very, very good defender. Who is? I mean, he's a modern-day fullback, so he also has to get forward well. But he can also get forward. I, big thing I like about him is his most... I'm not going to say most, because that's probably fact or statistically incorrect but a lot of his crosses are pullbacks which is the most effective type of cross and i really like that about him and he doesn't do the whole stupid float this 30 feet up in the air and hope someone heads it with about two miles per hour of power on it thing um he actually pulls his crosses back um you saw that for the move where aaron ramsey nearly scored earlier today um he's had a couple of those uh i think he's had at least one that's turned out in the goal unless that was preseason but he's he's good um he's massive which everyone makes memes out of he is the tank in every meme ever but um no he's very good we got i would think the fact that he was on a free and the fact that he was done in like may i think i can't remember when we actually announced him but we knew we were getting him in april or may um so that also probably had something to do with the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of fanfare for him but yeah he's been very good he did uh, Yeah, and he has legs, which is, as much as
1: I love Monreal,
5: and Monreal is fantastic, and you cannot say a bad word about him, he doesn't really have legs anymore, which is why he's playing center back.
1: Mm. Yeah, I I just thought it was interesting because, uh, obviously, everybody was tripping all over themselves to compliment Mendy, who I don't want to speak ill about, you know, because of the injury, and I I don't want to, you know, take potshots about that or anything, but it was just very surprising to me that I think they were playing fairly similarly for their respective sides, uh, and one of them was being hyped so highly, uh, and the other was just largely being ignored. Uh, uh, still have go, if,
5: to... if you want an explanation, I would go with Fee. Mendy's on Monaco, which is trendy. And Mendy is a bit more attacking.
1: True. Um, but I wouldn't say any more effective. We can get into that <laughs> if Richard's on. Uh, sometime soon. Uh, the other uh, big news is that Otzel should be coming back soon. Oh, and Giroud got his 100th goal, but I, I don't want to dwell on that. It was um, such a
5: terrible 100th goal. I'm so disappointed.
1: <laughs> it was a um,
5: penalty against Bate, but he didn't even win. It was such a letdown. Well, kind and of this, like is no, um, um, now. Is, well, this is after Theo Walcott. This is after Theo got his 100th goal against Sutton last year. So it's just <laughs> all about letdowns on 100 goals.
1: <laughs> so it would seem. Um, Otzel, on his way back, though, uh, but the Arsenal attack seems like it's just started getting going. Does he just automatically get his spot back, and if so, who suffers because of it? Oh, we'll be. We?
5: Yeah. Sorry, Alex. Fair enough. He's when do you better. think that'll happen?
1: Because um, Lille allegedly
5: has been fit for like two weeks now. God knows. I I don't know. Um, I mean, he did play against West Brom. He came off the bench, but um, I don't know. I guess there. I think he's been dealing with inflammation, mm. so that is liable to flare back up. So, so I'm assuming that's if it's happened. swollen or not I don't think so. I can't actually recall if he got called up for Germany or not. I'm hoping not, but I can't remember. Um, hopefully he doesn't play for them and just rests it up and is fine when we get back, because he's Mesodosil, and he's really good at football. Mm. And as much as I like Owobi and Wobeck actually was playing the, um, as one of those two men in behind the striker a lot. Um, Mesodosil's Mesodosil, and he's better than a will and if and if we play an attacking front three of welbeck alexis and lacazette then there's no creativity in that so it's either a will or it's um ozil and ozil's better at football so you know play him <laughs> Fair
2: enough. isn't also- it a bit of a isn't it a bit of a coincidence though sorry i'm talking over you can no, there was all the talk about alexis and his contracts and no one really talks about also even though he's in the same situation it's pretty much accepted that he's gonna go at the end of the season, isn't it? You're gonna to have to learn to play without him at some point. Doesn't it just make sense to, to do that now? Uh,
5: I no, nah, I'd go if you have him, use him as long as you got him. Like Well he's, just...
2: he's also he's also a passenger in some games. Like if you go away to the big boys, you're playing with ten men if you're picking him.
5: Yeah, I disagree with that. Yeah, that's <laughs> I just disagree. Um Fair enough. I think the evidence yeah. from Arsenal's heavy defense I mean, if, awesome if you look at his speech? if you look at if you look at his contributions against the big teams i don't have it on in front of me right now again over the last two or three seasons it's actually quite good um it's just you know when we get beat badly that he's the one who's focused on because that's how wizardosa works i guess um alexis is the same passenger defensively he's just more um visible when you see it or when you watch him play like you see him lose the ball immediately chase it back but other than that he really doesn't do anything else defensively either there's a lot of people you could argue about alex wobi his or Ozil's, be a viable replacement is terrible defensively so that's not really helpful either um the best argument would be welbeck but like i said he doesn't if we, if we play a front three of alexis welbeck and lacazette there's no creativity in that team at all because as much as i love ramsey he's not a creator his best um best skill is Get it, is running in the box late. Frank Lampard, if you want to give him a bigger shout that he deserves. Um, Granite Shaka is there to pull the string from deep. He's not going to create for the pitch, so there's a problem either way. You're not going to get a better defensive contribution from another creative player, um, and I would, again, go with the fact that is really not the problem anyway. So,
2: yeah. I see, I see your point, but... Sanchez was pretty creative in the, in the back heel that he set, <laughs> up with today. I mean, like I he, uh, Alexis is, just, Alexis just is say, like, he's I'll, not
5: creative. In yeah. Uh, play it's, not be, it's, him, it's a little bit reductive. Uh, Alexis is weird. Um, he, he'll do the whole, I'll have a really annoying game, but I'm Alexis Sanchez and I'm really good at football. So I'll have these one or two moments often. I'd say for the first 60 minutes of today, that was the case. Um, he then had a good like 10-15 minutes and then we made the stupid subs and we were bad after that um, but he's he's very creative at times but oftentimes if you can't like run an attack room him creatively it's more he almost has to be forced into it it's weird I that's not a very good way of explaining it but he's weird uh, <laughs> <laughs> like he is absolutely creative and he doesn't get enough credit for his creativity I just it's he wants to be more of a goal scorer and he doesn't really want to be the one running the attack, it's more yeah, he'll do it when he has to I'm going to
2: stop picking on what you say, saying I feel really mean
5: <laughs> <laughs> I actually really what like I'm here for, come
2: on. I really come like I just think um, Arsenal are going to have to play without him and I, I don't see Alexis and Ozil working in the same team anymore so mm. for me, also would be the one I'd leave out just because he doesn't have that dynamism that Sanchez brings
1: to your team Interesting and and has the pace which we've talked about a lot today it is like a, a great backup option Actually, if your primary mode of attack is not working. Um, I, I will say that Alexis he is the slowest fast guy I've ever seen. He is not as
5: fast as you would think as he is hyped up. To be. I, I think it's he weird. has
1: plenty of acceleration, he, but in his high top end speed.
5: Yeah, I I agree with that. It's yeah. he's got the immediate first step after that. It's not very fast, yeah. but the first it's step enough to beat an offside
1: trap. And I guess that's the. Uh, The most important thing. All right, moving on from one Dan to another. um, Obviously, West Brom are are viewed by a lot of people as a heavily defensive side. You have a lot of people that are considered good defenders in the team. Tony Pulis, Mm quote-unquote, likes to set up to defend. But over the last two seasons, you've not really picked up that many clean sheets, oftentimes conceding what would be considered sloppy goals. I'm I'm just curious as to how both of those things can be true, where people always assume that West Brom are good at defending, (laughs) but also... Uh, the defensive record isn't always as stellar as people may expect.
4: Well, I'll put a question to you then, Kev. Um, what is the point in Tony Pulis if you do exactly what Albion did yesterday? What is the point in Tony Pulis because he brings he brings no outward he no he brings no excitement to the game. He sets up to defend anyway you you've often left with a lone striker who's just chasing off, off the scraps and he's been I mean Rondón's a very good player but he's getting absolutely hammered for it and he's a good player he's a good player I, I will in, I I would back Rondón to score 15 20 goals a season in a good team you know I I cannot see a way forward for West Bromwich Albion with with Tony Pulis at the helm um and I don't want to sound because there will be people listening to this thinking, oh, you know, he's been spoiled. you know, West Brom are doing okay. Pulis sets up to defend, it can't be that bad. You finish mid-table every season, it's fine. And and yeah, that 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 is it, it's it's an opinion that I can empathise with. I understand what you're saying. I probably used to say something similar, um, when Stoke fans were hammering Tony Pulis. But when you've got him as as a head coach at your football club. You go into matches knowing that you're going to be set up defensively. So you go into matches knowing that you're going to struggle to get more than 35% possession. Um and and there's this whole like debate around possession as well, like, oh, it's not everything, it's not that important. Yes, it is important, or else Pep Guardiola wouldn't play with Man City, how he does. It's important to the point that Yeah, we don't expect to be going to away to Arsenal or or away to Chelsea or away to Man United and, and setting up to, to to go and take the game to them because that would be stupid for players of our of our ability but the players of we have got the ability now within our squad to be taking the game to Watford at home to to going to Burnley and and taking the game to them or trying to take the game to them or or going to palace and doing the same or even like if you got Everton at home I don't think there's any reason to be setting up defensively. And it is just every single time we're playing a game of football, it is exactly the same approach. We've got we've got who's a fantastic passer of the ball. He can see the whole pitch in front of him. He can create chances for the others. He can get up and down the pitch. He's a very good footballer. And he's been asked to almost play like Claudio Yak has done for us in, in, in the past. Um but he's just there is just no way of getting through Tony Pulis's defensive, massively overly stupidly defensive setup. This isn't single week. even preventing goals now. It isn't it? and that's the point. And I think there's just no atmosphere at the ground anymore because because there's just nothing to get excited about. When when you're giving up possession and humping it forward to Rondon, he's not he's not winning the ball. And the whole team as a group is then standing running back 10 or 15 yards to then invite the pressure on them. Can you imagine what that's like every single week? You're paying 40 quid a ticket to watch that every week. It is absolutely demoralising. There's a lot of fans who just aren't going anymore. I give up my season ticket this season for various reasons. But one of them has been that if it was exciting and we were willing to do something week in, week out, I might have been able to have found the £400 to go and watch it every single week. But to to be honest, there's no reasons for me to do that. And I, I just. I just feel like we've come to the end of the road. Pulis did a job for us a couple of years back and and he kept us up. And he's had excuses to fall back on us well since then. He's had the excuse that it's not entirely his own team or that, that we've been going through an ownership change and there's been lots of background activity that's been affecting how, how he does things. But all of that has gone and we're settled now. We've got, we've, we're settled with the new owners. They've been here over a year. Um, we're also we're also very settled in terms of the players that he's brought in. We've got a squad now that is capable of playing good football. Um, I'm not saying that we're as good as the top teams, and I'm not saying we're better than all the other teams around us. I'm just saying we're very we, we we've got a squad that's plenty good enough to to at least compete with teams and beat teams maybe two or three goals every week. But then we might lose occasionally because we've you know been caught out at the back, whatever. But it is just it's tough to watch that we're setting up defensively and, and still not being able to uh to see the game out like we like we did yesterday. I mean, I am on a bit of a rant now, but I may as well carry on. Uh, <laughs> um Ben Foster's wasting time for the whole of the second half when we've got a one goal advantage at home to Watford. Ben Foster's been told to actively waste time. And then Pulis' excuse at the end of the game was but the referee played too many minutes over. That's no excuse. <laughs> That's no excuse. When when your players are actively being told to waste time for forty five minutes, you can't then mow at the referee for playing what he feels is is an adequate amount of time added on. Absolutely ridiculous. Pulis yeah. has got something to blame every week. Like, against Arsenal, he's blaming the penalty that wasn't was that that wasn't given. But he he won't then say, um, that that to be honest we weren't just good enough to, to be Arsenal. He wouldn't say that. I, I just I haven't I haven't got any patience at all for the Purist regime anymore. Um and it's just it's just infuriating as a fan. And and I do get that yes, he might well lead us to safety, but he's boring fans to death in doing so. And there's a lot of fans just simply aren't going to games anymore because of it. Um, and as a fan who has to watch it every single week, it's it's okay to a point where if we're going to snatch one nil wins, that's fine. It'll keep us safe for another season where we can do that again and snatch one nil wins again. And then the season after that, after we've secured safety again, we've we've snatching one nil wins and being defensively great. What we're going to keep Pulis and and do what keep keep doing the same thing over and over and over. I mean, we've been a Premier League club now for seven or eight years. um, And for us to be playing this negatively, it's just, it's embarrassing at times. Um, Just constantly standing yards off players that aren't really much better than what we've got. Um, I hope that sums (laughs) up how I feel.
1: It does indeed. Uh, that is it for us for time though today. So if you'd like to tell anybody uh, where they can find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time.
2: Yeah, I've been Jamie Smith. I cover Burnley for various places, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Smith, which is my name.
3: <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Gitta uh, You can also listen to uh, the Jackass podcast. Uh, where we discuss all things Swansea City. There should be a new one up this week. You can find that on Twitter at the jackcast
4: Cheers for having me on. I've been Dan from um, 1878.net. Um, you can check me out on Twitter um, at the TheWhat's22 or you can check out my website's Twitter account at 1878 underscore WBA. Cheers for listening
5: and i'm dan you can follow me on twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits which is only part of my name thanks for listening
1: <laughs> and i'm your host kevin DeBries at kevroff on twitter you can find all my fantasy stuff at goal.com and also the fpl roundtable which is hosted on this very channel thank you guys so much for joining us it's been a pleasure as always and we hope you keep listening